Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. So at this time, we are continuing in our Steadfast James series. Um, If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We are in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and even driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Whatever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, getting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people. Who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This time I'm going to ask my hot husband to come up. I'll pray for him. Lord, thank you that your mercy is new every morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can take a deep breath and breathe in your name. That we can know that we are fully accepted and fully loved because of what Christ has done for us. I ask that you be with Billy, that you would guide his words, focus his thoughts, clear his mind of any distractions or any worries. You would hide him behind the shadow of the cross. That you would be glorified and honored by the work of his hands, Lord. That you would protect him, that your spirit would guide him. And that you would give us soft hearts and open ears to receive what you have to say. Thank you for this time and thank you for this place. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, well, I was going to say you can be seated, but you guys know it. So just a quick update uh, for those of you who may not know already. So in the month of June, um, we are taking off time. So I will be out of here. Um, (laughs) So my wife and I, uh, just through loving prayer and encouragement, have been uh, encouraged to take some time and space 
because of the relentless pace of ministry to be refreshed in the Lord. And so I'm asking uh, you guys to pray for us. Specifically, I'm going to be heading out about Wednesday this week for just uh, some time along with Jesus. So I'm going to go to uh, this really awesome retreat center uh, in the middle of the state and just spend some time uh, with my phone off um, and my Bible open. So be praying for me and my family. And then we're going to travel a little bit, see some friends and some family And so that'll be great. Now, here's the good news in this is that some of my favorite people on the planet are coming to preach. And so I'm actually a little nervous because I'm thinking to myself, you know, especially like the way I lined it up. It's like it's four back to back awesome speakers. And so I'm going to come back in July and you guys are going to be like, oh, there he is. Cool. You know, because these guys are incredible. And so uh, you'll see us a little bit. So next week we're going to be celebrating a baptism. We were going to uh, baptize Truman today that we welcome into membership. But alas, we didn't want to make him do the polar plunge and pouring rain. So uh, we decided to delay the week. So we'll be here next week to celebrate with you guys and I'll get to do that. But um, just a, a request I would have for you is please be praying for me and Hannah. The goal of this is not that we are burnt out, we want to get away from you guys. It's that we want to be refreshed and restored so that we can go back into the rest of the year um, ready to tackle this and ready to um, make much of Jesus in this place and in this congregation. So we love you guys. We're grateful for you. It is difficult to step away and also not difficult, right, at the same time, right? It's exciting and hard. And so um, just pray for us. So when I first started into an internship at this church in Missouri. Um, I was excited about church planning. I was excited about this prospect of discipleship and this idea of growing and and learning and preaching and teaching. And I was just a ball of uh, everything that a 23-year-old is, you know, arrogance and zeal and all the things. And so I remember going to um, our small groups, our community groups, and I was there and I was so excited. We were in uh, the um, executive pastor's apartment, this small apartment with a whole bunch of people all sitting on top of each other, all flipping through the scriptures. We were excited and I'm just, you know, talking a lot. You know, I'm like telling people, well, have you seen this in the Bible and this? And did you know Jesus did this? And I'm all zealous and eager and excited. And I'll never forget when uh, the pastor Rob said, hey man, can I talk to you real quick? Now here's the thing, small apartment, right? Not really a lot of places to go and there's children and there's all all these things going on. So the only place to go was the bathroom, right? Great place for a one-on-one conversation. So we go, he shuts the door and he looks at me and I can immediately tell I'm in trouble, right? (laughs) And so... I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what did I do? Did I say something, you know, offensive? And I'm like, I don't think so, you know? And he said, Billy, um, I just want to encourage you. Uh, I know you're excited, all right? I know that you have a lot of zeal. I know that you want to see God do amazing things. I love the way that you want to, you know, be in God's word, but you've got an issue. And so I'm sitting here thinking to myself, oh, no, what, what is it? You know, like, what have I done? Um, who have I offended? Is there something from my past? Like, I have no idea like, what it is. And he just looks at me and says, you talk way too much. And I was thinking, well, that's kind of, I mean, sure, you know, I'm young, I'm excited, you know, I have, I have ADHD, so yeah. So it's like, and I was like, is that, is that a sin issue? I remember sitting there looking at him, I was like, is that like a, like, is that a character? Like, what do you mean? He said, Billy, there are people here who are brand new, to the faith. There are people here who are exploring Christianity, and rather than giving them room to process, room to doubt, room to think, you just want to fill every silent space with your voice. I know that you're excited, and I know that you want to grow, and I want to invest in you, but you've got to learn 
how to be quiet. There's an ancient philosopher once who said, we have two ears and one mouth, therefore we should listen twice as much as we speak. There was trouble in my talk, and God loved me enough to expose it. And today, we're continuing through the book of James. We see this call to live steadfast lives. And last week, we saw James's challenge for us to have living faith. Now he's going to spend chapter 3 talking about our words and our actions and how they display our faith. So, Just in case you're wondering, hey, are we going to just be done with James? No, we're going to pause James over the next four weeks and do a series called Summer Mixtape. I basically told these guys, I was like, come preach your best sermon. So like, I'm in real trouble, right? Um, So they're going to come and it's going to be awesome. And then we'll dive back in James in July and we'll finish up chapter three. But we're going to start here by looking at our words, right? James talks about taming the tongue. And here's our big idea this morning. The steadfast life glorifies God through its words, right? The steadfast life glorifies God through its words. The average person speaks anywhere from 10,000 to 20,000 words a day, right? Some of you guys meet me and you're like, that makes sense, 20,000 words a day. But anywhere from that range, right, 10,000 to 20,000 words a day. Here's what Proverbs 10, verse 19 says. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So that means that we have 10,000 to 20,000 times to mess up, right? Now, before you take a vow of silence, let me say this. We serve a God who speaks. He speaks to us through his word. He spoke the cosmos into existence through the word of his power. The call, friends, is not to silence, but to be careful, to be thoughtful with our words, to consider how do we use our speech, our words, our tongues. And we're going to look at the tongue, and we're going to consider three things, the power, the source, and the hope for our tongues. The power, the source, and the hope for our tongues. Let's start by looking at the power of our tongues tongues. Look at verse one with me. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James starts right here with a word of challenge for those who would teach in his church, right? And it's clear to see why the challenge is there. Again, if we're supposed to be speaking the word of God, sharing the word of God as teachers, and we misrepresent the Lord, that's not a good thing, right? God says that he will hold us accountable. That says in scripture that we'll be judged with greater strictness. Like, I love reading this on a Tuesday in my office thinking like, yeah, should, I, should I keep doing this? You know, it's a really intense challenge for us. Now, here's the thing. Why do we need to be careful? Because we are prone to sinfulness. We're prone to folly. And if that's the case, then those who teach need to be especially careful, right? Because they will be judged with greater strictness. Now, the challenge for me as your pastor is to be careful that I'm pointing you to the words of God, not the words of Billy, right? 
I want to say this, you also need to caution what you listen to and always test it by the word of God. We need the word of God and sound doctrine, not just what sounds good. James goes from this challenge for teachers to looking at us individually about how our words hold power. Verse 2 is challenging, right? We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. That's a challenge because we all stumble and sin in many ways. But this specific issue of our speech, it's a universal problem. Our mouths get us in trouble a lot. When the Apostle Paul describes the depravity of man in Romans 3, it's no wonder that he speaks so much about the words that we say. When Isaiah comes face to face with the living God, what's the first thing he's aware of? That he's a man of unclean lips. James tells us that if we didn't struggle with the sin of our speech, the sin of our words, that we would be perfect. So let me ask this question. Anybody in here perfect? No, right? No. This is his way of telling us that this is a widespread problem, that it impacts every single person in here. And though James makes some sharp statements to teachers, he doesn't leave any of us out of his declaration of the power of words because the tongue is small, but it is mighty. Right? You heard the old adage before, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's just not true. Like, I'm still reeling from words that have been spoken to me. Have you ever seen a kid get made fun of? I'm telling you, it takes them a long time to recover from that, more so than when they fall and get a boo-boo. All right? Words can really, really sting. And Paul gives us two visual, I'm sorry, James gives us two visual aids to see the power of our tongues. He points to horses and ships. The tongue, though it's small, it has great power to control and guide every part of our lives. The first illustration he uses is that of a bit in a horse's mouth. This bit is tiny compared to the overwhelming size of a horse, and yet this great And mighty animal is guided and controlled by a small piece of metal in their mouths. I'll never forget when I went to a farm in Florida and they said, Billy, have you ridden a horse before? No. Let's get you on cash. Okay, cool. That sounds nice. Here comes cash. And he's like massive gargantuan horse. I'm like, he seems pretty big. Do you have a pony? Right? Because I don't want to die. And they're like, no, it's going to be fine. Cash is really gentle. He's super tame. In fact, You don't use the reins like you normally would. He actually is so tame that you use it like a joystick. So it'll be perfect for you. And I'm like, what does that mean, right? What do you mean by that? You think I'm just a loser in my basement playing video games? I don't know what I'm doing. So I get on this horse and I'm terrified. And yet just ever so gently, Cash would go wherever I directed him. He was basically just a giant puppy. I loved him. He was great. It was incredible to think that this little bitty thing in his mouth guides this massive creature, and the tongue is the same. It has great power over every part of us. But then James moves to another picture of exercising the same point. He encourages us to look at these great ships and the powerful winds that they endure, and yet the thing that guides these great ships is these small rudders that are directed by a pilot. I mean, have you ever seen a cruise ship before? It's insane. They're huge. They're like floating mansions, even bigger than that on the sea. And yet, the way they go forward, the smallest part of the ship is this little rudder. And yet, that's the part that leads it down its path. Our words, friends, 
they have the power to heal and to build up. But this week, uh, Hannah was encouraged as she opened the door after hearing a knock. It took her a few minutes. We have a toddler, and she gets to the door, and there's a rose bush with a letter encouraging us as we process. This was the month that we were expecting to welcome another child, and we're not going to, and that's painful. I remember her just like sending me these words of encouragement and how much that meant to her and how encouraged she was by that. I think of myself. You guys are going to meet a really good friend of mine next week. His name is Kevin. He pastors an incredible church called Beloved Church. And we were together um, in February and I was processing a lot. I was wrestling with anxiety. I was getting ready to go to the doctor and I was nervous about all these different things and, and, and being a father. And I'm sitting there just a puddle of, of anxiety with these pastors and I'll never forget, forget, Kevin just stops in the midst of everything that's going on. There's this huge conversation. People are really into the trenches about how to lead their churches. And Kevin just looks at me and says, hey, you're okay. God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. You're okay. Those words in that moment spoke life to me. This is what Proverbs 18.21 says. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. And so while our words can build up, they can also destroy. Again, look at the end of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The tongue can set our entire life and course on fire. And verse 6 says that it's set on fire by hell. That language is strong because James is making a very difficult but very important point. Our tongues are dripping and vitriol, set ablaze by the fires of hell. If we look closer at the word that's translated most often as hell, we see it's this Greek word, Gehenna. Gehenna was this location just outside of Jerusalem. And at the time of writing, James would know what Gehenna was clearly. It's the same thing that Jesus had in mind. It's where heaps of trash burned nonstop, night and day. And James is pointing us to one of the most disgusting things he can think of. But the picture goes even deeper than that. Because the location of Gehenna was known as the Valley of Hemen in the Old Testament and intertestamental, intertestamental periods. This Valley of Hemnon was the location where people would sacrifice their children to the pagan false god Moloch. So there was a statue of Moloch with his hands like this, where people would place their baby into its hands, and it would roll down the arms into an inferno. Could there be anything more disgusting and despicable than child sacrifice? That's why Jesus would liken this location to hell itself that was prepared for Satan and his demons. James is pointing us to the place of unrestrained wickedness. He's trying to illustrate what we do with our words when we don't control them. Our words are often dripping with malice and they do more to destroy than to build up. And our tongue, unlike any other muscle, remains in constant exercise, right? It's constantly moving. It resembles a wildfire spreading swiftly with sparks flying in every direction. Now, 
You may think, Billy, it's a little harsh, right? Our words aren't that big of a deal. It's just a small thing, and it's seemingly small at the time. Just a hint of an innuendo and a joke. A harsh word to loved ones. Maybe a word that belittles someone. The spreading of some juicy gossip. The exaggeration of stories. Each of these things may appear, may appear just insignificant, just mere sparks in the grand scheme. However, how great a fire is set ablaze by such a small spark. With just a few careless words, intentional or unintentional, the aftermath can result in immeasurable damage. I mean, think about this. We see this all the time. We live in the age of cancel culture. The collapse of careers, the shattering of marriages, the instigation of conflicts, the prolonged self-loathing caused by thoughtless speech. Do you know how many kids that are now adults who are still reeling from a careless word spoken by a parent? David Platt says this, and it's set with me hard. He says, show me a man or woman who stirs up strife, who is a gossip, or who criticizes everything due to a proud and critical heart. And I will show you someone who has hurt many people in their path, starting in their own home. Let me ask you a question. Are you often right, but you're a jerk? I got real quiet. Um, I say that because we, we spoke on this issue not long ago when we were in the Ten Commandments. We talked about lying. This is more than that. This is everything that we say. I, I, I can't, I'm so concerned today where we live again in the age of outrage and we have this I want to fight posture that's so anti-Jesus. Yeah, well, let me just play devil's advocate. No! Don't do that! Like, why are we, like, why do we have this mentality that I need to be aggressive. I need to speak my mind. I need to say what's what. You're not God. You don't. Restrain your speech. Be quick to listen. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. Do you know what character that is? That's the character of God. Colossians 4, 6 says this. Let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let me ask this question. This past year, if someone paid you $20 for every kind word you ever spoke about other, another person, but they also collected $5 for every unkind word you spoke, would you have money in the bank or would you be in debt? It's pretty hard to think about. Last night I was talking to Hannah about this and I said, hey, there's a cheesy acronym that stuck with me for a long time and I'm not an acronym person. Like you're not going to hear Billy do the four L's of love sermon um, usually. <laughs> but I think it's helpful. And she said, share it. I love cheese. And I was like, well, you did marry me. So here we go. <laughs> this is an acronym for think. It says this. T, this is what you do. Before you speak, you think, right? T, is it true? Is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? How many times have we said something, well, it's true, but it's not helpful, definitely not inspiring, certainly not necessary, and absolutely not kind? If what I'm about to say doesn't pass that test, then maybe I should keep my mouth closed. 
I can tell you how often this works, but I can also tell you that sheer willpower isn't enough. Because sometimes that guy just cuts you off, you know? And you got to slam on your brakes, and you just, you want to think, but you're not thinking about the toddler in the back seat. <laughs> Friends, we all struggle with our tongues, but the question is why? Why? Why do we all have these loose lips in certain contexts? Well, for that, we have to go deeper. And so let's see second, the source of our tongues. That first point was the longest, so don't worry. Verse 9. Our tongues, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. We have a problem. <laughs> and it's that our mouths get us into trouble. On our own, again, we're in this helpless predicament. And it's crucial that we understand that our words reveal the true condition of our hearts, our spiritual state. And to illustrate this, James gives us these few simple illustrations. He says, freshwater springs don't produce salt water. Fig trees don't bear olives. Grapevines don't yield figs. And a salt pond cannot produce fresh water. Here's what the point he's trying to make. It's this, sinful words inevitably stem from a sinful heart. And it highlights that our problem runs deeper than what meets the eye. And it needs to be taken seriously. All of these examples that he gives, all of them have a source, right? All of them have something feeding into it. And James is asking for me and for you to consider what is our source. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew 12, Matthew 12, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. He's speaking to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Friends, words that are evil, immoral, deceitful, hateful, adulterous, wicked, sensual, slanderous, proud, and foolish come from within a heart that is the same. They come from the heart, and that is a deeper problem than our mouths. Now, Jesus is not talking about the organ of the heart. He's talking about the real you, the core of who you are. And he says something similar in Luke chapter 6. He says this in Luke 6, verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. And laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. 
But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Picture a man who has an apple tree. He's really wanting to make a delicious apple pie, and this apple tree is only producing rotten apples. He's bummed because, man, he really wanted to make a good pie. And so he's going to figure this out. And he starts researching online. He starts looking up all the different things he can do. He's pruning and he's, he's doing stuff. And it's not working. He just keeps getting a bunch of rotten fruit. And so he comes up with a plan to fix the tree. The next day you see this guy returning from the grocery store. And he's got a large bag of shiny red apples. And he takes out his heavy-duty nail gun. And he begins fastening these good apples onto the tree. Tree's all better now, right? It's alive, it's healthy. No, of course not. Now, although from a distance, it may appear that the fruit on the tree is good, the problem lies within the roots. And the same can be said for us. We can't just deal with fruit, right? If you hear this sermon and you think to yourself, well, I just got to clean up my talk. I just got to be quiet more. I just need to do more. You're only dealing, again, with external fruit. You're just like this guy with a nail gun trying to nail on good fruit. You have to get to the root. It's not just our behavior and speech that can be flawed. Our hearts are in need of redemption through Christ. We can't say that we've experienced spiritual change. And it's nothing more than just surface level fixes. right? That's not actually spiritual change. That's just stapling fruit on a dead tree. Think about our kids, right? When our kids use inappropriate language, of course we want to encourage them to watch what they say, but we don't just stop there, right? We don't just say, hey, don't say that word because guess what happens when you tell a kid not to say that word? Why, right? Our kids ask better questions sometimes than we do. Well, because that word is inappropriate. That word doesn't encourage. That word really hurts other people. It's not right for you to say that. We want to get to the deeper reason behind why we say the words. And Jesus shows us that our tongue problem is actually a heart problem. What we truly require is not a spiritual tongue doctor, but a spiritual cardiologist. And we have reason to praise God because, friends, we have access to one. And so let's see third and finally, the hope for our tongues. The hope for our tongues. Look back at verse 7 with me. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We have to see the danger of the tongue and our inability to tame it. You see, we possess the ability to tame various animals. I mean, there are some dogs that display better obedience than most kids, right? I mean, think about killer whales that we see at SeaWorld or lions at circuses. It's incredible that we can train these colossal creatures, but no one can tame their own tongue. James describes the tongue as a restless evil full of deadly poison. Sometimes, again, I said this earlier, we prize having a quick tongue, telling people how it is. A young lady once came up to John Wesley and said, Wesley, I think I know what my talent is. And he said, well, tell me. And she replied, I think it's to speak my mind. And Wesley said, I do not think God would mind if you bury that talent. (laughs) Our tongues, friend, they get us into trouble, right? 
With them, we praise God while at the same time we speak critically of others, which James reminds us that when we do, we're speaking about image bearers, those who bear the image of the living God. Sad truth is that as Christians, man, I've come to understand how easily it is that we can deceive people. All right, we may appear sweet, gentle, loving, and kind-hearted in public, but those closest to us, our families, our closest friends, really know our true nature. And the reality is we all face significant challenges if we're left on our own. Despite the abundance of self-help books and so-called experts, we cannot change ourselves, including our speech, right? We can't tame the tongue. No person can tame it because our struggle extends beyond words. Again, our hearts are wicked. Each of us has fallen into the trap of sinning with our words. And if we're honest, James' warnings can make us feel condemned. Maybe you hear this this morning, you're saying, what hope is there? I want to give you good news in the midst of your shortcomings this morning. Despite the imperfect words that you've spoken, despite the imperfect words that we've all believed, we have a God who provides. In the grand narrative, God's voice resonates in creation. Satan's voice echoes in the fall, but God's voice resounds again in redemption, and God has the final say. He has unveiled a message of gospel promise. We've all experienced the sting of broken promises. And sadly, we've also inflicted the pain on others through our own unkept promises. But here's the remarkable truth. God always remains faithful to his promises because he is a man of his word. No matter how deeply you have been wounded by the words and broken promises of others, when you learn to listen to God's voice above all other voices, you discover a wellspring of hope and healing. Don't forget the gospel, Coram Deo. Through Christ's substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, our foolish words and the consequences of them were placed upon him. While his righteous word and wisdom was imputed to us. Colossians 2 assures us that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. The gospel of John reminds us that Jesus, the eternal word descended from heaven to earth. True wisdom ultimately comes from knowing Jesus. The word of God, it serves as the ultimate remedy for our struggles with words. Because again, God always has the final say. James has already affirmed that God saves sinners through the word of truth, meaning that regeneration, this idea of being born again, it occurs through his word. Death does not have the last word for God's people. As Jesus conquered death on the cross, bearing God's wrath in our place, his triumphant cry, it is finished. It resonates with power in our lives. And when Jesus returns, friends, he will establish his kingdom. And he will speak the final word. It's beautifully conveyed in Revelation 21, where we discover that we will be eternally embraced as children of God in a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 verse 5 says this, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the springs of the water of life 
without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Consider James' illustration from earlier. He said that there's a horse, there's a ship. Yes, there's a bit and there's a rudder, but who controls those? The horse, friends, has a rider and the ship has a pilot. My question this morning is, who is piloting your tongue, friends? I think of the hymn, Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me. These are the words of that hymn. It says this, Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. This hymn was written by Edward, Edward Hopper. He's a pastor and a hymn writer in 1871. The inspiration of this hymn came from Hopper's own experience as a young boy. According to the story, Hopper's father was the captain of a small coastal vessel. And one day when Hopper was a child, he, he got to go with his dad on a sailing trip. And they're navigating through this treacherous channel. There's this dense fog that descends, making it extremely difficult to see the way ahead. And Hopper was afraid. He was scared. He couldn't see forward, but he looked up and he saw his dad, the experienced captain, taking the helm and guiding the ship safely through the dangerous waters. And it left a lasting impression on him. And later in his life, when he became a pastor, he wrote this hymn as a reflection of this childhood memory, this representation of who navigates the challenges and storms of our life. See, this hymn beautifully portrays that Jesus is the loving Savior who pilots us, who guides us, who protects us through the turbulent seas of life. And what James wants us to consider is this call to a living faith, this call to living a steadfast life. And what he wants you to do this morning, Coram Deo, is to find the end of yourself and find yourself in Christ. Though we stumble and we regret the words we speak, our desire should be to please and love the God who remains steadfast. Even our failures cannot sever his love for us. In these moments, friends, would we be those who humbly seek God's grace to renew and purify us? Would we embrace his abundant grace? We live without fear for we know that God will never disown his children for their mistakes. He pilots us. He grows us. He shapes us into Christ's likeness. In our failures, we hold on to the confident belief that through the gospel, God has given us abundant, eternal life. The transformative power of the implanted gospel word saves. The question is this morning, do we need to repent? Have we seen our tongues falter? In our repentance, we see that our standing as God's children remains secure. See, the voice of condemnation says you're not good enough. You're too cruel to your kids. You're the worst. You should just give up. But the voice of conviction says, I have spoken a word over you. I've called you son. I've called you daughter. Live that way. Our performance doesn't alter his unwavering love for us. I told our community group this last week that I try to pray daily uh, this gospel prayer from J.D. Greer. In it, he says, there is nothing I have done 
that could make you love me less and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. When I consider the abundant, awe-inspiring truth of the gospel, it changes the way that I speak. By faith, friends, we've been delivered from the bondage of unwholesome speech, of wicked tongues. Though our words may at times again falter and not align with our faith, we've got to embrace the theological concept of the already but not yet. We're not entirely new, yet we are authentically transformed, being conformed to him's image. By God's grace, Cormdale, let's use our tongues, our words, to glorify God, to bless our neighbor, and to speak well of the hope of the gospel. Four questions for us to consider. First, how have others hurt me with their words? And in what ways have I hurt others with my words? Second, what do my words tell me about my heart? Why is the tongue so difficult to control? Third, how can I actively listen and empathize with others before responding with words? You do that thing sometimes where you're already thinking about how you're going to say what you're going to say before you actually hear what others are saying? How can I actively listen and empathize with others before responding with words? How can I seek understanding and engage in meaningful conversations that build up and edify rather than tear down? These are all going to be on the screen in a moment, so if you're trying to write quickly, don't worry. Fourth, what are two or three practical ways I can be more careful with my words? In what ways can I invite the Holy Spirit to transform my heart enabling me to speak words of grace, love, and wisdom in every situation. And then we'll put all four on the screen for you. Let's be a people who speak life, Cormdeo. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that you love us, that you see us, that you know us, and that you speak a better word. Lord, would we be a people who um, acknowledge the ways, Lord, that we have spoken harshly and would we seek to look at the gospel and would it change us so deeply from within that we would speak a better word a true word a kind word would we be people who speak life thank you lord for the hope of the gospel we pray all this in jesus name amen thanks again for listening to the quorum deo podcast you can find us on spotify Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.